right. Good morning. I invite you to take your seat this morning. Good to see you all. If this is your first time uh, with us this morning, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. And it's a joy to have you with us. Hope you all had a great Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? It sounds like you had an okay Christmas. That's okay. Sometimes it goes that way. We had a great Christmas. It was so good to be uh, in here on Christmas Eve, worshiping together uh, with all of you. I don't know if you know this. We had about 600 people come and worship with us on Christmas Eve, which is an amazing number. Can we give God thanks for that? It's about 150 or so uh, more than a normal Sunday around here, which is amazing. And I was thinking this morning, just giving thanks to God for that. And I was thinking about a couple of the things that the Lord spoke to us uh, before we planted New Life East. And that was that New Life East was to be uh, defined really by two things. One, it was supposed to be a spiritual oasis for people. It's a place where people who were thirsty for God could come and drink deeply of the well of life, number one. And number two, that it was to be a place where the Lord Jesus would gather together the scattered sheep, those that didn't have a home, folks that were far off from him, that he'd bring them in and give them a place. And in three years of being in congregation together, the Lord has done that. And you've been a huge part of making that happen. And 150 extra people, maybe, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot to you. That's 150 extra folks in this house drinking deep of the well of life. And also finding or at least being invited to find a spiritual home with us. And so this is like what we're always going to do as a staff. We will always do everything that we can possibly do to create a space where the presence of God is welcome. And then also to create a space where the people that you bring are well taken care of. And I think God's going to build his church through that. Amen. Amen. I do love. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) I do uh, love the new year. Uh, I always love it. You know, like when you finish a journal, for instance, do we have any journalers in the room? Ten of you? Okay. <laughs> dying art form or something. I love it when I, you finish a journal and then you have a new one. What am I going to write in this one? You know, or if you finished up one creative project and you're about to start another one, what is it going to be? You know, there's something about newness that uh, is intoxicating. It's wonderful. And I love the new year. Uh, For just that reason, the year, maybe the year that you've had was a crummy year. It's in the rearview mirror now. Maybe the year that you had was an amazing year. I don't know how it was, but there's just something about January 1st. Ah, what is this going to be? That sense of of newness. And yet I do think, and Kaylin, who's leading worship with us this morning, alluded to it a little bit. I do think that in our culture, uh, the New Year holiday can have this quasi kind of religious magical feel to it. You know, like 2022 was terrible, but somehow magically, just because we flipped the calendar over, everything's going to be amazing now, you know? And I don't know if you're like this, but a lot of people will spend a lot of time around the new year thinking about their goals and what are they going to do and what are they going to accomplish. And so we kind of have this magical atmosphere, plus there's a lot of pressure on ourselves to like make something amazing out of our lives. And do you know what I think is really cool about the church? New Year's is not like a church day. It's a thing, but it's not like a moment in the church calendar. Do you know what the church actually gives us instead on New Year's Day? It gives us this feast, this festival, 
where we bring ourselves together and we center again on the name of Jesus. In the church calendar, this day, January 1st, is called the Feast of the Holy Name. And it comes from this moment here in the book of Luke, uh, starting in chapter 2 and verse 15. You'll remember if you were here on Christmas Eve, this is kind of the traditional Christmas story that you read and meditate on. And so there's this moment where the shepherds see the great company, the heavenly host, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then watch this in verse 15. The scripture says, When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things as she pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just said they, as they had been told. So they go and they see the Christ child, God-man, here in this manger, surrounded by animals and his mother and his father. And they cannot believe what is happening in front of them. And then we come to this verse here. And this is the verse for this day. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named, what does the text say? He was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. God doesn't give us a new year. Do you know what he gives us? The name. And this morning I want us to center our thoughts around the name of Jesus. Let's pause and pray. Oh, we love you, Lord Jesus. We say with the psalmist, whom have we in heaven but you? Earth has nothing that we desire besides you. Our flesh and our hearts may fail, but you are the strength of our hearts and you are our portion forever. So we come to you this morning, incarnate, living Lord Jesus, you who call yourself the water of life, you who call yourself the bread of life, you who call yourself the light of the world, you who call yourself the resurrection and the life. I am, I am, I am. You're all of this and more. Would you help us this morning pivot our attention and our affection and our thoughts away from what's going on in the world and away from the chaos of our lives and away from our own strength, and would you help us pivot our affection and our attention, help us rest, make it come to rest on you. We're asking that this morning we would see you in a clearer way, and we ask that you would speak to us in a way that puts our feet on the path of life. The psalmist says that you lead me in paths of righteousness for the sake of your name. And so we trust that you're doing that this morning. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation Love the hearer's hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Let's just start here this morning. What's in a name? What's in a name? Why is it important that we know the name of Jesus? Why is it important that we know anybody's name? What's in a name? And I think that you can take that and you can break it down in a couple different ways. I think the first thing that's in a name, we could say, is that a name is a carrier of a person's identity. A name is a carrier of a person's identity. So there's a whole mob of people in this place. I know a lot of your names. 
Uh, I don't know all of them. One name that I know really well is the name Colin Stoddard. And when we think, when you hear the name, if you know Colin, when you hear the name Colin Stoddard, that evokes something for you. You think, dashingly handsome. You think, rugged good looks. He is, right? Give it up for Colin Stoddard here. You think, man, that guy can build a deck like nobody's business. You think about that. You think about horseback riding. You think about prairie parties. You think, what a good father and a good husband. And also you think about what a killer pastor this guy is. Ladies and gentlemen, can we show our love and appreciation for Colin Stoddard this morning? A name carries a person's identity. When we say the name, we're talking about characteristics and we're talking about a history that's been piled together, a story that's been piled together. So when I say the name, it evokes all of those things. So a name is about identity, but a name is also about authority or power, authority or power. So one of the things I love about New Life Church, uh, we just celebrated Jeff Sheaford over here who worked with our creative department for a number of years. New Life Church has this amazing creative department that serves all of our congregations across the city. They make these beautiful videos and graphics and they just do stuff. They're very creative is what they are. (laughs) And if you walk into the creative office on any given, say, Tuesday and say, guys, I've got a great idea for my congregation. I'm going to need something by next Sunday. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, take a number and get in line, sucker. (laughs) But if I walk into the creative department on a Tuesday afternoon and I say, hey, guys, I just came out of a meeting with Pastor Brady. Everybody goes, right? Identity, but also authority and power. I'm invoking this name and that name gets things done. Something like that is true of our God. Look at this great text. In the book of Exodus chapter six, the Lord is preparing to deliver his people up out of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. And because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of the country. So God is about to do this new thing. He's about to add a new moment into his story with his people. And then watch this. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, what? The Lord, I didn't make myself, what does the text say? I didn't make myself fully known to them. So now I'm doing this new thing, which I rise up on your behalf and I deliver you from Pharaoh. Now this is a moment when I disclose something new about my identity that you did not know before. And now when you invoke this name, the name Yahweh, you'll always think about this thing that happened to you that I did for you in Egypt. It's identity and it's also authority and power, which by the way, is why the third commandments of the 10 commandments is what it is. Does anybody know what the third commandment is? Welcome to church, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Should we do a little review class? First commandment, you shall have no other gods before you. Second commandment, real closely related to the first one, you shall not make for yourself any graven images. It's about idols, that's right. So we're trying to differentiate God from the gods out there. And then the third commandment is you shall not 
take, ah, the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do you know what the Hebrew actually means there? Literally, the Hebrew says this. You shall not carry the name of the Lord your God into emptiness. Like, don't use the Lord's name in a way that's less than the identity that you have learned about the Lord heretofore. Because this name has identity and it also has authority and power. Which is why when we come to this moment in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord says to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, this is the blessing I always end the service with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites. And what happens? Blessing. That wherever the name goes, the power of God also goes. Wherever the name of God goes, blessing goes. And that blessing is designed always to make life right. To take our disordered worlds and put them back together again. So then, we come to this moment in the book of Luke when Jesus is given the name Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus actually means? It means Yahweh is salvation. <laughs> it's a way of taking all that Yahweh is and wrapping it around this one person. So the Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2. He says that, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of what? Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Or as the apostle writes in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, salvation is found in nobody else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Friends, the church adores the name of Jesus because it is the source of salvation. Remember, you will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Wherever the name of God goes, the blessing of God goes. And God, since he has taken a human body, God has a name. And his name is... That's right. Now, you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, Andrew, this is all very wonderful. But what does it have to do with the new year? <laughs> Why do I care about any of this? Well, I think it has everything to do with the new year. I was thinking this morning about how much, again, how much I do love the new year. And I love the new chance, the chance to write a new story on the page, to paint a new picture on the canvas. And I do think that there is this temptation, though, at this time of the year to get very carried away <laughs> with our ability to fix all of the things that are problematic in our lives. And so I remember, uh, this is probably 15, 16, 17 years ago maybe, uh, I was home, my hometown, Marshfield, Wisconsin, over the Christmas holiday and New Year's. And uh, I've done this for many years. I've tried to take some time away around the new year just to kind of survey the landscape of my life, think about what's happening, think about what's going on, think about what I want to see change. I'll write down my dreams and my hopes for the coming year. And I remember this one particular year, I went to the little McDonald's in Marshfield with a journal and a pencil. And I sat down and I just started writing out all of the things that like I wanted to accomplish in every conceivable area of my life. Marriage and friendship and physical fitness and finances and schooling and all of that stuff. 
And I remember not just having those categories, but the categories had subcategories with little goals attached to them. And I'm not kidding, after an hour and a half of sitting at McDonald's, I had seven and a half pages worth of goals and things. And I remember leaving McDonald's thinking, I've got this. 2004 is going to be awesome. And I got two weeks into it. I failed in most of those goals. It was like unachievable. This like weight of pressure all of a sudden crashing down on me. What was my problem? What's the problem that we all have? And that problem is the problem of (laughs) self-salvation. That we start looking around at our lives and the things that are disordered. And we go, you know, if I just pull myself up by my bootstraps, if I just exercise a little bit more gumption and self-discipline and all of this, then all of the things that were wrong with my life are suddenly going to get better. And I'm just going to live in a nonstop state of 24-7, 365 bliss. And there are people in our culture (laughs) who are trying to convince us that this is a plausible thing to do. I think about the culture that we live in. I think about because of social media, we've got all these gurus that we can find. And we all do it. I know you do it. You've got your gurus that you've curated that are helping you live better in all the areas of your life where you want to get better in your physical fitness. You know, I don't know who you got. Maybe you're a Liver King fan or something. You don't know who that is. That's my Instagram feed. (laughs) You know, or self-motivation. You're a David Goggins guy or something. Or living a little bit more vulnerably and authentically. Brene Brown, I know, I've seen your feed. Yeah, got a couple fans there. Or maybe you just, all the things that are wrong with our culture, you know, and you want to be a culture warrior. So it's Jordan Peterson for you. Again, I've seen your feed. I don't know, you got your gurus. And the gurus are all trying to convince you of something. The gurus are all trying to convince you that if you just live your life in this particular way, if you just do these things, then on the other side of it, you know what you will achieve? Happiness. And who doesn't want happiness? And so we exhaust ourselves chasing all of these gurus and all of the things that they're recommending because we think that if we do that, our lives are going to get so much better. And do you know what I want to say to you this morning? It's good to have goals. And it's good to work on the things that you need to work on in your life. But that idea that if you just accomplish these things, then everything will be amazing. Do you know what it is? It's an illusion at best. A form of self-worship at worst and idolatry. So I want to lead you in something this morning for just a few minutes. I want you, this is the thing uh, in the history of the church, we have this word called examine. And examine is a thing that we do where we survey the terrain of our lives because we're trying to flush out those places where our lives are not in alignment with the truth of who God is so we can come into alignment with him. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do this morning. I'm going to invite you to do a little moment of examine. And here's the formula. And this is the formula by which we flush out all of the great illusions of our lives. If I just fill in the blank, then I will fill in the blank. I wonder what it is for you. So I'm thinking this morning now of all of the kids that are sitting with us this morning. Kids, I want you to think back to nine days ago. Christmas Eve. Was it nine days ago? It's about that. Nine days ago, Christmas Eve, you hadn't opened your presents yet. But you had a list, didn't you? You had things that you wanted for Christmas Eve or for Christmas Day. And in your mind, if you got this thing... The Lego, the 
there it is. That's my son. The video game. Go Liam. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe some of you girls, you want a little princess dress or something or your favorite Disney character. And in your mind, you built it up. When I get this thing, everything will be amazing. Here we are nine days later. Is everything in your life amazing? No. You got the thing. That's great. But it didn't fix everything. Go think about some of the students in the room. If I just, like what's your little idolatry that you're dealing with here? If I can just get this GPA, then my parents will really love me. <laughs> if I can just get accepted by this inner circle of people at my school, then I will be happy and content. If I could just improve my wardrobe this little bit, right? Then all of a sudden I'll feel better about who I am. Do you know what that is, guys? It's an illusion. Or I think about you adults now in the room. How many times has your life been driven along by something in this category? If I just make a little bit more money, right? If I can just get that thing, then everything in my life will be amazing. Or if I can just lose like 30 pounds. I saw somebody posted yesterday. My goal last year was to lose 10 pounds. I've only got 15 to go. go. <laughs> I love that. If I just lose this weight, if I just get my body to look a certain way, then I'll feel great. If I could just fix these couple little things in my relationships people, with people, then everything will be amazing. What's your thing? And how many times in your life, let me just ask you, <laughs> How many times in your life have you been working with that formula in some way and then you got the thing and what happened? You realize that there were like 20 other things out there that all of a sudden you started plugging into that formula. Oh, well, I guess it wasn't this thing after all. I guess it was actually these other things out there. And we wind up on this ridiculous hamster wheel exhausting ourselves trying to fix something that we are not in a position to fix. So Acts 4.12, again, the scripture says, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's not your efforts that make your life better. It's not your own moral wherewithal that makes your life better. It's not the self-discipline that you can exercise that brings you to salvation, to happiness, to peace, to contentment. Who is able to do it? Why is that? Because he's God. He's God. And when we draw near to the person of Jesus, what happens is those things that were disordered in our lives, all of a sudden they start coming back together again because he can save us. Can I get an amen from somebody that, this morning? So I want to ask you, I've got a couple minutes left here. I'm going to ask, what does it mean for us to draw near to the name of Jesus and to make it your source of salvation. And you're going to have your goals and you're going to have your things that you're going to try to accomplish this year. Again, all of that is wonderful. But I want to commend to you three things that put us in proximity of the name. And allow that name to make our lives the way that God desires our lives to be. Number one, what does it mean to draw near to the name of Jesus as your source of salvation? I want to say this to you. Keep Jesus. If you're going to do anything 
this year, if you're going to make 2023 about anything, make it about this. Keep Jesus. Everybody say, keep Jesus. Keep Jesus at the very heart of your life. At the very heart of your life. Don't just make a bunch of plans and then invite Jesus to be part of that. But keep Jesus at the heart of your life. And I think that this is principally about, man, you guys are up here pretty early. I got about another seven or eight minutes. Does that work for you guys? Okay, great. Give it up for our worship team. I mean, they are on it. They are on it. Keep Jesus at the very heart of your life. And I think, honestly, look at them. They got their tails between their legs. You guys, we love you. We bless you. And you got your, your moment is coming. It's going to be amazing. We keep Jesus at the heart of our lives, which I think that this is, you know what I think this is really about? Like the discipline that gives this to us, it's prayer. First Bible verse I ever learned in my life, my parents are here with us this morning. My mom was always teaching us, mom and dad. Mom was always giving us Bible verses to learn. The first Bible verse I ever learned in my life, Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord continually before me. And because he is at my right hand, I won't be shaken. The psalmist goes on to say, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Friends, it's the life of prayer keeps the name at the center of our lives. And when I think about the last, I've been a Christian all of my life, and I think about my adult years now, the discipline, outside of the discipline of coming to church on a regular basis, the discipline that has kept my life whole and sound is the discipline of prayer. Prayer somehow allows us to access the strength that's in the name, and it allows that strength that's in the name to build up our lives and make them strong. There are really three big things that happen to us in prayer. Number one, I'd say this happens to us in prayer. You can put that next slide up on the screen. Oh, I'm unburdened in prayer. Everybody say unburdened. You ever been carrying around a weight of guilt and shame and just awful feelings? Maybe you just had like a week from hell and you were the one that was making it a hell. And then you come into the presence of God. God, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions, wash away my sin. And there is nothing like being in the presence of God and sensing the forgiveness and the grace of the Lord wash over you. It's forgiven. I love you. You can start over again. That happens in prayer. And if it doesn't happen for us, you know what we're going to do? We're going to try to atone for our sins in other ways by trying harder, by being better, by getting it right. When has that ever worked for anybody? And so we come to the presence of God and I am unburdened in prayer. And the other thing that happens to me in prayer, and this happens all the time, is that I am given direction. How many of you ever in your lives, you have been in the presence of God in prayer and something that you were not really thinking about, like it was maybe a situation was kind of over here, but you're before the face of the Lord and you're adoring Jesus. And all of a sudden you see that situation in a new light. And the thing that you were struggling with, you couldn't figure out how to turn the corner on that. All of a sudden you've been given insight. By a show of hands, how many of you that has ever happened to you in prayer? Why don't we access that more? But I can't tell you how many times that's happened for me. 
that I've been in prayer and wrestling with some situation and all of a sudden as I'm pouring my heart out to Jesus, giving myself to Jesus, the thing that seems so intractable, it's not intractable anymore. And I'm given direction. I know what to do because I drew near to the name. And so I'm unburdened in prayer. I'm given direction in prayer. But the biggest thing that I think that happens in prayer is that I am, next slide, I am molded into the image of Jesus. I'm molded into the image of Jesus. One of the great images that some of the church fathers and mothers over the centuries have used about prayer is that they said that when we draw near to the presence of God, what happens is we become like melted wax. We maybe had one shape when we came into God's presence, but have you ever experienced that? Do you come to the presence of God, you just become a puddle, <laughs> right? It melts all of that hardness away from you. And the place where you've become rigid, it takes that down almost to nothing. And you know what they'll say? That in that place where all of a sudden we're soft, what the Lord our God, the Father in heaven does is he presses the seal of his own nature and identity upon us. And do you know what the name of the identity and nature of God is? I know you know it. It's Jesus. That we were running around just kind of looking like ourselves or looking like our culture or looking like our family of origin. And then we came into the presence of God and he melted us and he pressed Jesus upon us. And we come up out of prayer looking more like the one in whose image we are made. Friends, if I can commend to you any practice this year, don't go out there trying to lose a bunch of weight or fix your career or whatever it is. I mean, do that. That's fine. You can have those goals. But the first thing is that we bring ourselves to God in prayer. Number one, here's the second thing that I would commend to you. What does it look like to keep the name of Jesus at the center of your lives? I would say, make Jesus this year your pattern and your example. Do you know that God's will for our lives, just like what I said a second ago, God's will for our lives is not just, again, that we'd run out and kind of make lives for ourselves, but God's will and purpose for us is that we'd come to look like Jesus. And so Jesus says this in John 13, verse 15. He says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And we say this about Jesus a lot. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And a lot of times they think that when we hear Jesus say that, what we think is Jesus is saying that he's in the way. That Jesus is like this obstacle that we got to get around and I got to make sure I fix my relationship with Jesus, make sure I'm on good terms with Jesus so that I can get where I'm going. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the way. Do you know what that means? I'm the way that you come into a place of rest in the presence of God. I'm also the way that you become the person that you were made to be. Jesus isn't just true God, but he's true humanity. And have you ever had one of those moments when you're reading the gospels and you think, this man is the greatest man that ever lived. Have you ever had those moments where you're reading the gospels and your heart melts because of Jesus or you're inspired because of Jesus or you're floored because of Jesus or you see Jesus do something or handle a situation and you go, I would have never thought to handle it that way. Do you know what the Father's will for your life is? That people would look at your life and be able to say the same thing because you're molded in the image of Jesus. You want to do anything to make your year a better year, pattern yourself on Jesus. It's an old thing that we used to say. It was really popular back in the 90s. WWJD, do you remember that? What's that? What would Jesus do? It's not a bad question to ask. Jesus, how would you handle this situation? Jesus, how would you handle this person? 
Jesus, how would you handle what's going on in front of me? And you know, by the way, the only way that you will know the answer to that question is because you have spent time with Jesus in the scriptures and in prayer. And so you know the mind and the heart of Jesus and you're able to act the way that he would act if he was living his life through you, which by the way, he is. And so we keep the name at the center of our lives by being a people of prayer. We make Jesus our pattern and our example. And then the final thing, and with this, the worship team can come forward. <laughs> I want to say this to you is the last thing I'll leave you with is that we want to pin all of our hopes on Jesus. We are not capable of saving the world. We are not capable of fixing all that's wrong with our lives, and God doesn't expect us to. But there is a name, there is a man who can, and his name is Jesus. And if you'll stay close to him this year, I promise you, you'll get where you need to go. Can you receive that this morning, church? Can we stand and prepare our hearts for communion? Paul writes this in Philippians 1.6. He says, I'm confident of this. I'm confident of this. That the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Can you do something, church, this morning? Can you take your whole life and offer it up to Jesus? And I want you this morning especially to think about all of the things that you have been trying to arrest from Jesus Oh, Jesus, I got this one. Oh, that piece of my marriage, it's not working. I got this one, Jesus. You don't have to handle that. Oh, that thing with my kids, I got this. Oh, that thing with my friends at school, Jesus, I got this. You know what I mean? We all got it. Stuff that we're trying to take out of the hands of God, that's a big mistake. <laughs> big mistake. So, Lord, Jesus, here it all is. Here it all is. And Paul says that he's confident that the one who began the good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this year, what we want to do with our lives, with our hearts, with our money, with our time, our talents, our relationships, with all that's in front of us this year, is we want to offer it to you. And we want to ask that you'd take it and you'd guide it and you'd direct it. We ask that you would make of it what you want it to be and not what we want it to be. And we do more than that. And now, church, I want you to do this in the spirit of what Paul says in Romans 12. He says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. And so we do that this morning, Lord Jesus. We're offering our bodies to you. We're offering our bodies to you, our lives to you, our hearts to you. And we're putting them in the hands of the only one who is able to put the world back together again. We give ourselves to you. We ask that this year would be a consecrated year. That it'd be a year of proximity to the name. Stay close to us. Keep us aware of you. Make us like you. We're praying all that this morning. And we remember that on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, the Lord Jesus, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this all of you and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. And do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The miracle of this moment, Lord Jesus, is that somehow you're coming to us through it. And so we take bread and we take cup this morning and we offer it up to you. Like our very lives, we acknowledge that these things are nothing before you. 
And yet if you'd lay your hands upon them, if you'd bless them, if you'd recruit them, if you'd call them into your service, then we might just find that bread and cup for us are a vehicle of the presence of Jesus Christ and that our very lives become a vehicle of presence for the sake of the world. So here it is. Do the miracle. <laughs> Do the miracle. Church, would you, in your heart, would you begin to call the presence of Jesus into this moment? He says that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, that he's there in the midst of them. Would you welcome Jesus and receive Jesus? And so we say, take bread and cup, fill it with the mystery and the magnitude of your presence. That it will become for us a real participation in the body and the blood of Christ. Grant it, we're praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, I'm going to invite our servers to come forward this morning to serve communion. Four communion stations that appear at the front of the auditorium. You're going to exit your row on the right, come through and receive communion and go back in. On the left, all of our communion wafers are gluten-free. Just so you know, the servers will put one in your hand and then you'll dunk it in the cup and take it back to your seat and take communion when you're ready to take communion. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God and they're given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.